to what extent has Vladimir Putin been weakened by recent events? It's hard to tell, but he's, he's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home. <laughs> Yes. Meet the new boss. Same as the old boss. Ryan, I won't get fooled again. Remember that shit? <laughs> Hell yeah. Look, I mean, um I mean, do you I remember just, the who? The band? No, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean, but I'm also just very excited to relive the I, I hope we're doing Iraq again. I hope that like it's been most of my life i feel like it's the one thing that uh i'm really comfortable with is discussing invasions of iraq uh let's do it just like <laughs> yesterday i'll get on my knees and pray and we don't get fooled again biden really is it's not really a full roger daltrey but you know um <laughs> So he wants to it, take us back to a simpler time. <laughs> he wants to take us back to a simpler... T- yes, back to Iraq is funny enough, but, like, it's that... Also, W did the exact same thing <laughs> yeah, one, like, one year ago today. I'd have, you know, basically, like, a year oh. ago today, almost, you know? What if it was exactly one year ago today? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, like, uh, I guess, what, I mean, what does that say? Like, that Iraq lives in their head as much as it does in ours, right? <laughs> now, it makes sense for them. They're the guys who did it, <laughs> you know? Uh, you know, George W. Bush is, you know, the man maybe most responsible for, you know, murdering those million people. Uh, but, you know, Biden was one of the people, you know, standing at his shoulder, backing it up, the the main Democrat uh, doing it. Um I'll saying it that way it kind of lets a lot of other Democrats off the hook. I mean, but he was a big, you know, uh, oh, yeah. cheerleader of that shit. And um, yeah, it's just uh, we're, we are the same. We are we're them, you know, <laughs> like it defined our lives and theirs and will forever. Like just as they are like muttering about Iraq still in their senescence, so too will we be. Yeah, yeah, no, for real. And Greg, you can be happy to hear. I just looked it up. May nineteenth, twenty twenty two, is when George Chubby. So it literally was almost exactly a year ago. Um, uh, thirteen months. You know? Yeah, but, well, Biden he's running a little slower these days, so you know, uh, time runs at a different speed for him. So, uh, yeah, that kicked ass. Uh, by the way, Greg, do you have any uh, thoughts on the the strange events in Russia last weekend? Uh, Led by uh, Prigozhin, the hot dog magnet. Oh, uh, it's all been said. I mean, yeah, it's fu- it's a funny, kooky thing that I think the main takeaway. Look for anyone listening to this who like only like briefly saw shit on Twitter and like didn't really look into it. I think the main takeaway, if you want to maybe understand part of it, is that it is like very weird, very funny, kind of very exciting and strange and wild but like probably like one percent of the real like event that it was made out to be in like the the like ukraine flag media or like i'm sure on msnbc it's not it was it it's just like weird uh russian internal politics that like that but not nothing like rising to the level of like an actual coup it was just it was more it was like a 
it was like a protest, basically, but with, yeah, with some real political stakes, but like none that are really going to be legible to us without like a lot of reading and mm-hmm. talking, you know, but, it, you know, it, it is kind of just very weird, but ultimately like small potatoes kind of thing, not like the big like epoch shaping thing that it's been made out to be. Well, that and I think the the other sort of takeaway is, hey, we're not going to know what actually happened for years. <laughs> but but the other part of it is that, uh, look, Russia is even more so than maybe people thought leading into this kind of held together by duct tape. But yeah. uh, since 1991, basically. Uh, hey, guess what? So is Ukraine. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think the thing that's kind of interesting that people left out is. Uh, this would have been exactly what I predicted happening in Ukraine. And I still think will probably happen in Ukraine, which is you've armed a bunch of right wing militias mm. and mercenary groups. Uh, they all hate the Jewish president of Ukraine. They all claim that Zelensky's stabbing them in the back. That's all Azov talks about. Uh, look for more of this to come. That's all I could say. Like uh, this should this shouldn't be making the Ukraine people happy. I think if I were in Ukraine right now, I'd be pulling on my collar a little bit, going, <laughs> maybe we should shoot some of these ah, fucking okay. guys now." <laughs> like, Brian, Brian, this is why this is why you podcast with me. Okay, my third eye always open. It's all a Putin Prigozhin ploy. Kojin's going to be back in the inner circle in six months. Those other guys that he doesn't like that he was demonstrating against are going to be out. And the whole thing was really, or at least partially, designed to give the Nazi psychos on the Ukrainian side crazy ideas. (laughs) Now, that would be the uh, fourth dimensional chess that we're constantly (laughs) told that Putin's playing. I don't think that's what happened, but that that Uh. would be it. No, that would be yeah, yeah. That, it's pretty that's pretty far fetched. But um, this is the kind yeah. of thing that occurs to me, you know, well, it, I, I, why I, like I, I should I, you know, which is why like I can't, you know, ever really could never have a career doing any kind of real commentary besides a podcast or theorizing about a song of ice and fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thing, the other big takeaway here is Biden has been taking L's kind of left and right this week. Yeah. Uh, Round up Eric Prince and put him in that Bane prison from Batman. Like that is the <laughs> other takeaway right here. Like, yeah, yeah, Eric Prince should be put in a fucking hole. <laughs> like you know, I mean, alive, right, guys? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like he didn't show. You know, his guys didn't show up in force for January sixth. Mm-hmm. When are they going to? Right, like yeah. So they, the the January sixth was was a bigger threat to American democracy than this was to uh, the Ru- the Russian status quo, I think, is my no. basic takeaway, which, you know, I no. yeah, genuinely. I, you know, uh, my political science professor who did uh, specialized in modern Russia, uh, his, his advice to me about studying Russia was, look, uh, American history is boring. Uh, you know, in Russia, there's a coup every five years. There's always something to study. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they like they like to keep it fun over there. They keep it loose. They keep it fun. Welcome back to the Mechanical Freak Podcast, where we're learning about neoliberalism yesterday, today, and tomorrow too. Greg's with me. He's on the boat. Munya. 
he's still on the submersible, so waiting to <laughs> waiting to get that that uh, big story from him. Just waiting for that call. <laughs> waiting day. for that call. You know, I've I've we've closed the lines, uh, blocked all other numbers. It's on. You know, just waiting for him. He could call in. He could call in right. You know, during the show, we don't know. Yeah. By the way, Logitech controllers, they should cost more because uh, they, they were able to recover that one. It was still like in one piece. So uh, that's that's a note to Logitech. Charge more. Well, All right, guys. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> we're reporting today after a, a couple of big L's from the uh, Biden White House. Uh, did you hear about this, Greg? Did you hear? Yeah, affirmative L's, action. You say. L's you say oh yeah they're really they're taking L's over to at the White House like yeah. they give a fuck yeah yeah that that yeah, thing that's so close to Biden's heart which is affirmative action at university institutions uh t- took a big hit today uh to be fair it's been being chipped away at for decades but essentially was uh drowned in the bathtub finally today yeah it's been a target for decades and there's always been a, a really like solid, easy to understand uh, constitutional argument against it. You can debate whether it's right or wrong. Who gives a shit? The Constitution's stupid. Uh, it's just about power, and they have it. And so here we are. You know. Yeah. So uh, just to kind of get into it just a little bit, because uh, I think the reasoning is kind of interesting. But so Justice Roberts, who wrote the majority opinion, uh, I, so. One thing to note is affirmative action in the university system was taken on as a not on the grounds of like creating any sort of uh, like like uh, or like payback for, you know, for like treating black people so bad for so long. Right. It was, yeah. it was not meant to be a reparation or anything like that. It was literally pushed through on the basis of like well, diversity benefits students like the students. They'll be they'll learn more if they're in a more diverse student body. Right. And. The first thing that Robert cited, which I thought was pretty funny, was he said, hey, look, diversity is an admirable goal, guys. I think we can all agree. Everybody in this room right now, we can all agree. My my octogenarian freaks all agree. Diversity is an admirable goal. Uh, But you can't legally mandate it because it's non-quantifiable. You can't attach a a number to diversity. Uh, I mean, he's with us. He's like, guys, put away your calipers. (laughs) <laughs> right like, yeah it's, it's more a qualitative idea than a quantitative he's idea. like look man like race race isn't real okay it's a it's a social construct and uh you know you're you want to do this phrenology to let people into college but we're you know we can't be doing that shit i mean that is the that is the very understandable and uh correct if disingenuous conservative argument here right <laughs> what i think uh I, I would throw a little you know wrench in the spokes here about the it not being quantifiable it's like I, i'm pretty sure you could just quantify it based off the general population of the state like i actually yeah. think you could quantify it actually quite easily but uh but yeah but he then went on and this is the actual meat of his legal argument uh which is he connected it to the Brown versus Board of Education ruling and saying this is just one more step along the path of eliminating racial discrimination uh, in America. And that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, that would rock. That, that's a that's a real circuitous fucking path then, considering <laughs> that if we got affirmative action after Brown v. Board. Mm-hmm. But, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, so he, you know, he basically goes on to say, this is a quote, uh, many universities have for too long done just the opposite of eliminating discrimination. And in doing so, they have concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. Our constitutional history does not tolerate that choice. I, I just like this kind of like wording of like, Look, you know, whether or not you should get in college is based off of challenges bested. Like, it's like, what century were you fucking born in first off? And I like this. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's also just bullshit, right? Of like, course it's bullshit. <laughs> like, what rich person's the, ever the, bested anything? <laughs> this is the thing. There's this simplistic, like, you know, there is, this is the problem with a lot of these weak liberal institutions is that... There's really like there's arguments against them that make sense that will pass in a headline that seem like they have some intellectual like credibility to them that, you know, is easy enough to use to just like ram something through. Like, yeah, we can sit here and say that's bullshit because the reality is, you know, massive systematic segregation and disenfranchisement and that just anything counteracting that enormous force is, you know, going to lead to a more, uh, you know, equal racial outcomes or something. And it is a positive thing, but like, you know, unless you protect it with more than, you know, your, your previous Supreme court justice judgments, then like, this is what you get, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I it's flimsy. think it's flimsy. Yeah. And I think too, you have to abandon certain concepts that liberals hold dear. The first of which being meritocracy, right? So step yeah. one to fighting this idiot argument that Roberts is making that like, Oh, this means that colleges are paying attention to the color of people's skin as opposed to challenges bested and skills built is uh, challenges bested, like being black in America. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's why you have affirmative action. Like it's exactly that. Mm. That is why, yeah. Affirmative action is is a relevant construct for ameliorating some of the awful like discrimination and segregation in higher education because it's because of the enormous challenge of being black in this country. <laughs> you know, well, and, and I, dickhead. what I think part of like the liberal obsession with meritocracy is this idea of a quantifiable idea of merit. And I think step one to understanding why this argument is bullshit is to say uh, grades and test scores are bullshit. They're made up. They actually yeah. don't signify anything at all other than your parents income and uh, are garbage right now. His argument is that's the challenge is bested and the skills built. Uh, but we know that higher income schools have changed their grade point average so the kids can get up to 6.0 GPAs, which means if you're in a low income school that has a real grade point average, you literally cannot compete on a college application, which, by the way, is why colleges don't pay attention to GPA anymore is because they they understand that's now just completely made up. And Wait, has like there's six. Yep. There's schools doing six. Yeah. Yeah, any grades. Yes, wealthy high schools have 6.0s because they count AP courses and uh, the like as having higher GPA value. And then when the kids <laughs> submit their applications, they say, I got a 3.2, and the college, without like 
going through some incredible like forensic process to figure out what it doesn't say that it, that's out of six they you know that just looks that looks like a 3.2 like yeah. a b like and not a fucking d you know yeah so, so basically what the colleges have had to Holy do shit. is because this has been going on for the last 20 years colleges have yeah because you're right greg there's there's no standard model and there's no like listing of high schools that have bullshit fucking gpa measurements and scales right so what colleges had to do is just basically say we're just not gonna look at that anymore like so many high schools do this now that that it, that number is no longer functional for us because yeah if somebody has a 3.2 what does that mean is that 3.2 out of six is that 3.2 out of four you have no idea <laughs> So the colleges have just thrown it out altogether. Just said, I guess we just don't do GPA anymore in admissions, right? Uh, Now, the other part of it is the the test scores thing. And, you know, again, huge bodies of evidence that literally your test score is just a function of how much money you paid to get that test score. So all those prep courses for SATs and ACT and PSATs, all that stuff, they do pump up your test scores. So we do know that now. I mean, on top of the fact that testing is racially biased and all and class biased and all that kind of shit. Uh, the fact that rich kids get to take their SAT 15 fucking times with professional prep, you know, means yeah. that, yeah, of course, they're going to have like close to perfect scores. I mean, honestly, the fact they don't have perfect scores is, just shows how inadequate your average rich kid is in real life. Yeah. Like, yeah. I winged <laughs> that shit. Yeah. Uh, what's it out of 1600 i don't know i got well they, they've changed the sat score multiple times since we were in high school greg i, I don't know what it's exactly anyway it was at 2400 for a little bit now it's, what? i think it's back okay, i think when i took it it was 1600 yeah forever it was and i never spent a single second thinking about it beforehand if you're born you like a white kid in an upper income household of professionals who was given all this SAT prep and stuff like that, and you didn't get a perfect score in your the SAT. 1600, yeah. Yeah, you basically are like, you, you know, you're, you're not, <laughs> you don't have it. <laughs> That's all I can yeah. say. You don't have it. <laughs> like, like you literally, everything was given to you. Like, it, let, that perfect score was given yeah. to you on a plate, and you still fucked it up somehow. You and, still, <laughs> uh, we both went to college with those people. Yeah. Oh, no shit. Right. I mean, that's that's the I big mean, thing, especially but. <laughs> that's the, that was always the argument about, like, uh, we got to make sure that we have the smart kids in colleges. Like, well, when is that going to start? Because that sure as fuck wasn't when I was in school. But uh, but yeah, like um, basically starting in the 90s, there just became a huge industry in getting your shitty kids into college. Right. Because the old union jobs and stuff like that had all gone away. Right. America was told, look, there's a tiny stratum of professional class jobs. They'll be the last sanctuary in America for those people who weren't born with trust funds. They'll be the last sanctuary in America where you'll have a job with any amount of dignity. Everybody else is going to be a crab in the bucket. And because of that, that, of course, made all these professional class parents fucking paranoid. And a huge industry sprung out out of getting their shitty kids into college, right? All the way from, you know, SAT prep and like these bullshit, you know, scores at, you know, high schools or whatever that the parents pay the district to get their kids into um, to, you know, the, the scandals we've seen lately of rich people like buying resume preppers and shit like that, you know, for their kids' college applications. And because of that, 
all of this stuff that Justice Roberts is talking about is like, this is the real meat, right? This is the quantifiable data. It's widely known by every admissions officer, by everybody in the university system, that all this stuff that we're talking about that's supposed to be the real meat is just bullshit. It's literally just a measurement of how much income your parents had, how much they get paid to put that on a sheet of paper and mail it in. It's worth nothing. Yeah, but, you know, if your only motivation is to continue to replicate a white professional and ruling class, then then fine. Then it's working. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I, what I think so, I, I think I guess this is like the actual sort of like game here. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit in in ending the myth. But, you know, for those that, uh, you know, aren't listening, first off, tisk tisk, uh, you you will not. You're not only not getting into college because you didn't listen to any of the myth, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. But uh, to go over it. Seen it, it sucks. <laughs> Have you seen the director's cut, right? <laughs> the way that really Scott meant for it to be seen. No. Um, the, uh, so in the late 60s, early 70s, there was a big push uh, to have a counter-revolution in America, right? To essentially reinstantiate the power of the capitalist class to completely destroy the American left once and for all. Uh, you know, spoiler alert, they did. And, you know, uh, essentially uh, create what's called neoliberalism today, right? And colleges were a major target of that. And here, I'll give you this. This is from uh, Governor Reagan. This is when he was governor of California. Uh, his advisor on academic issues, Roger Freeman, in 1970, he explained what they were doing with the California college system to the press. Quote, we are in danger of producing an educated proletariat, and that's dynamite. We have to be selective on who we allow to go through higher education. If not, we will have a large number of highly trained and unemployable people. And that's what happened in Germany. I saw it happen. That last sentence in that, I mean, <laughs> question marks all around that one. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, shortly afterwards, or the next year, really, uh, Lewis Powell, who became a Supreme Court justice immediately after writing this memo, but was a lawyer for the Ch- Chamber of Commerce and a board member on RJ for R.J. Reynolds, uh, he wrote this memo that got leaked, but basically saying... Hey guys, we, you know capitalism. You know the capitalist class of America has to launch a massive counteroffensive against the left in this country, specifically targeting colleges. Where he said that socialism has become acceptable on too many college campuses, and so we have to eradicate that virus, right? And uh, <laughs> it's like in America, <laughs> in America, like by that point, like you know that was like Gladio in America was just mm-hmm. like, we've got to, we've got to wipe out communism on the, on college campuses. That that's how like uh hopeless this country always was. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. saying. <laughs> yeah. On college campuses, which were wildly conservative at the time, like, you know, yeah. but not enough for these freaks. Right. But the real thing was so like James Buchanan, who's this really important economist for this right wing push, wrote this mm-hmm. book called academia and anarchy. And I put books in the, with the biggest quotations possible, a 50 page pamphlet. Uh, But literally the whole playbook is in that book of, Hey guys, we need to increase the cost of tuition to make students have to take out loans 
in order to go to college. That way they can focus on their studies and we'll have them afterwards. So they won't be able to you know, do what they want with their lives, all this kind of shit, right? Uh, we need to break tenure, like all this kind of stuff. Like everything that's happened to the college system is just spelled out in this book. But one of the things he focuses on the book is that we send too many people to college. Like that's not who college is supposed to be for. College is for an upper stratum of elite Americans. And there's really no reason to educate anybody else. Like the rest of the people should just get shoveled into whatever shit work you can find and having them be educated is pointless. And I think when we talk about why there's been this decades long battle to end affirmative action at the college level, that's why. Like it's this shit. It's the Operation Gladio on the college campus. Uh, it is the idea that most of the colleges need to just close and the admissions of the ones that are left need to be a lot more selective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, now, to, because the only point, you know, it's, what's weird, though, is that that's it's so like in conflict. That's <laughs> this is the place like we've gotten to now is that simultaneously that this project was going on. There's also a liberal project to expand higher education <laughs> using the loans so like these two yeah. like forces are working at odds to each other like starting to dismantle the california university system at the same time that the rest of the country is starting to want to replicate it you know yeah and like I guess that's why we're in the in, in totally batshit position we're in now, where like, you know, enormous numbers of like our generation actually did get four year degrees at insane prices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, you know, that is the last remaining factor for why colleges still exist. I mean, you know, when you talk to college administrations, it's like talking to, you know, the head of Kellogg's or something like that. I mean, so then students are just units who drop off money, right? And that's it, you know. Uh, but the last remaining, like, pulse at the college campus is the fact that almost all the boards on college campuses have been taken over by banks who essentially just parasitically, you know, leech off students, right? They've became, yeah. they've become this middleman between you and the college. And just like everything else in America, it's just another place for a financial scam. Now, this brings us back to our, our good president, Joseph Biden, because in the early 1980s, he pa he was the one who authored and pushed through the legislation that uh, made student loans uh, exempt from bankruptcy rules, which is why it's such a choice, you know, uh, piece of meat for banks, right, to force student loans on on kids, because a their kids, they don't know any better. You can trick them. And B, they can never expunge the debt, you know, so you can collect that loan for their entire life. Yeah, the interest is, is great over that time. It's it's a steady, totally uh, secured debt pile. And like it suits the needs of all of capital, because as you said, you know, it's basically a labor discipline mechanism. Yeah, yeah. It, and it means, like you said, you get out of college and now you belong to 
whoever is going to pay you, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, right? And, you know, it makes it so it's a lot harder to, say, go on strike at work because you have that payment due, right? It's a lot harder yeah. to, you know, be picky about your jobs because you have that payment due, right? I mean, it's the whole reason why they wanted to get rid of, say, like the COVID payments and things like that. It's the whole reason why they pushed inflation up, right? You know, aka price gouging post-COVID, right, is to essentially get people, empty everybody's savings and get people back on the, like, shit, I don't have a choice. I got to go work at McDonald's at minimum wage, right, you know? Um, But yeah, I mean, like, that's that's the last sort of lifeblood of the college is that it's just a uh, pen for young kids to be milked like cattle by banks giving them student loans credit card companies because that's all you find on college campuses now is credit card companies fucking signing people up for credit cards 18 year olds up for credit cards that they of course max out and of course sports gambling Hell yeah they do <laughs> yeah exactly i mean that's the one thing you can't expunge via uh, bankruptcy that's a little legal advice just from the podcast here uh the other one being sports gambling which is now just completely taken over uh college campuses but uh the one thing that hasn't survived is the actual education part which is for the most part entirely dead i mean that's the funny thing about all the arguments over the, you know, quality of education. Like, is it too woke? Is it not woke enough or whatever? Is that uh, the education part died decades ago, guys? I don't know how to tell you this. Like, uh, put a fork in it. It stopped yeah, existing a long time ago. Yeah. It's all taught by part-time workers who make, you know, $20,000 a year and commute halfway across the state daily to teach two classes. Like, it's not real. It's made up. You know, nobody's learning shit. Um, but yeah. Uh, but this does like bring in some, you know, interesting questions, right? So one, there's the case of like, who keeps bringing these suits? In which case is a guy named Edward Bloom, who's, you know, some rich guy backed by a lot of conservative foundation, libertarian foundation money. Um, but his gambit, which he's been doing for the past two decades now, has been to find, you know, upper income Asian students with good test scores and then claim that affirmative action is racist against Asian people. And it's an interesting tactic. So I think it reveals two things. One, uh, as we've talked about in the myth, uh, there's only one race in America, which is black. Everything else can be agglomerated into white under the right circumstances. Right, right? but that's, yeah. that's something that we understand, Brian, yeah. but that's not something that liberal yeah. under America well, understands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this is what I was saying earlier is these, you know, the flimsiness of affirmative action as a concept and as, you know, it was sort of uh, legally instantiated as a band-aid to the to one, you know, minor like uh corner of the like racial problems of this country, right? Uh it it it's has this incredible weakness, this obvious like glaring weakness that you know, you can uh you know, use to go out in public and uh not be embarrassed in polite liberal society because you know about arguing against affirmative action because you can go out there and say uh well actually we're against racism and that's <laughs> this is racism right and so perfect perfect of course you're not going to go up there and do that with a white student because that would kind of give the game away right like so yeah you so perfect 
Asian students. Great. And that will allow uh, liberal America, meaning like your average, like idiot liberal city dweller and your your MSNBC commentator or talking head to like give a serious airing to this shit. Mm -hmm. Because, and say and, like, man, this really complicates the issue. Yes, gosh, what is the, how do we, this is a real thorny, uh, you know, instead of getting to the real heart of the matter, which is, like you said, Brian, there's only one race in America, it's black, <laughs> and, uh, you know, affirmative action is a, a, is simply a small fucking, like, band-aid on the massive discrimination in this country, you know? that like who cares what the details are you know like but that's yeah. that's when it comes down to it's about power right because but now you can talk about it like oh these are real serious thorny philosophical issues and thus they must be adjudicated by the wizards uh, and <laughs> tested against the great document when the, of course the real answer is uh the wizards should have been put on the submarine and the document should be used to wipe my ass <laughs> and fuck you uh anything you can do to tear down the fucking legacy and contemporary racial oppression in this country is fucking fine by me yeah yeah and i mean the the funny part too is that basically um the you know conservatives on the court were like well, we're understanding this via like 14th and 15th Amendment that, you know, you can't discriminate based off of race. And it was kind of funny. I guess in her dissent, uh, Justice uh, Katanji Brown Jackson became like a constitutional originalist and that she was like, no, that shit was clearly written in reference to black people, not in reference to everybody. <laughs> like, But again, I mean, it shows that it's like, it's, pretending that these arguments are real principled arguments is a mistake, uh, which is a liberal exactly mistake it. that she's making. Yes. This is bullshit. It's just power. <laughs> yes. It's you. Have, first of yes. all, fuck the Constitution. Yes. Look. Yeah. This is what I said. That's what the response like, should be is fuck the Constitution. Yeah. They're not wrong. <laughs> there is a good constitutional argument that affirmative action is illegal okay there always has been why hasn't it been overturned until now why hasn't it been outlawed until now by the fucking court because the court didn't want to or didn't feel like it could because other people were in power Th that's all because other people pushing a a weak uh badly guarded badly fortified lazy uh half-assed liberal project were in had enough power to instantiate that project called affirmative action and it did the good that it did but that's all it was it was always there was always a very obvious very real co constitutional argument against it and the answer is they didn't do it because they didn't have to because fuck you and yeah the even larger answer should be fuck the constitution it sucks it sucks a dick it's garbage even the 14th yeah, like, amendment <laughs> well the thing is like when you have power you exercise it yeah well i mean you know look to show you how valuable the constitution is the 14th amendment was immediately used to protect corporations yeah, and they said exactly. fuck you and cut all the black population of america loose you know so, right like well it, it's probably the best it's one of the best better things and it's it's maybe the first even semi good thing in the document right but it's like well-intentioned maybe yeah is oh, that's better you know you can find some some okay nuggets earlier in the history of the document but they're all badly intentioned 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the time you get to the Fourteenth Amendment, you could argue that some of the people writing it were really hoping for some actual good to come of it, <laughs> and but even so, none did. The uh, the you know uh, the Second American Revolution is an utter fucking failure, and the Fourteenth Amendment uh, is garbage and wasn't worth the uh, hide it was scrawled on, and is also toilet paper. Yeah, yeah, basically, right? And uh, well, to, to kind of get on that point a little bit more, so Edward Bloom, the guy who's pushed these cases through, just to give you an idea what the agenda is like, was also the guy who pushed Shelby v. Holder, which is the case that gutted the Voting Rights Act, right? So to give you an idea what the actual sort of end game of all this is, he did at one point note that uh, in a while speaking publicly about this, that he learned over time that he, quote, needed Asian plaintiffs, right? Because white people were not sympathetic enough when he took them in front of the court. Um, but I will say there's there's one other interesting point about the Asian plaintiffs, though, that I think is not accidental, which is uh, at elite institutions, elite private schools, Harvard, et cetera, right? Uh, but also at flagship state institutions like the University of Washington, uh, students from Asia, like foreign students brought in to come to college there, are treated like a little piggy bank. Again, college at this point only exists to exploit the students. And they are brought in, charged enormous fees for coming to American institutions and are just treated like absolute dog shit. Not given any sort of language support or anything like that. They are literally just there to be milked. And uh, the college, like, they literally can't fail out or anything like that because the college is just there to milk them. And because they can't fail out, well, fuck them. If they fail, they fail. (laughs) Maybe they'll stick around longer if they keep failing, right? Uh, Again, just another wonderful uh, example of how the education system we're supposed to treat like some sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, like uh, fucking high-minded place of learning. It's just another place for middlemen to pick you. The Academy, Brian. Yeah. The Academy, just another place for middlemen to pick your ass dry, essentially. Now, on to the point, I, there was one funny thing. So there's been a lot of articles. I was looking at this all day, kind of today, when I had the chance. But, um, you know, I had a college class dropped on me today that I have to teach on Monday. They literally told me I'm teaching it today. Just to give you an idea of how much the college cares about education. Uh, colleges care about education. They inform instructors a day or two in advance of what classes they're going to teach. Um but anyways, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Um, I did see in some of these articles that there were some of these DEI consultants were like panicking because they're like, well, this, of course, is going to spread into the corporate world and uh, we might not be able to make money doing DEI HR, HR seminars anymore where we go and we, uh, you know, read white fragility. We all mm. nod our heads and the corporation just keeps doing whatever evil thing it's been doing. <laughs> Uh, that industry might be under fire here, uh, obviously. Um, so kind of funny to see them panic. But I will say, uh, the in the private sector, affirmative action is used in the determination of federal contracts. And that is the next thing that's going to fall. And that actually does suck. Um, that is like one of the few things that kept, you know, companies from just having a no blacks allowed sign on their front door. And um, that does suck a lot. And uh, that is probably falling next. Uh, So. uh, Yeah, I mean, they're coming after everything. Like, yeah, 
So dubs under the Biden administration, Roe v. Wade overturned, <laughs> affirmative action gone. Uh, the ban keeps racking it up. And Brian, uh, it's a co-equal branch. <laughs> What's he supposed to do? <laughs> He's only got two of the three co-equal branches. What can he do? Um, had two of the three. Yeah, managed I mean, to lose one in the midterms. Look, and that's, I mean. You know, you're never going to convince liberals in this country, Democrats, any different that like there's anything Biden could have done, you know, well, there's any program that the only institution that we have not that isn't standing between us and this like uh, right wing clawback, the Democratic Party could have possibly done anything, you know. Could have yeah. possibly, I don't know, to be fair, been a completely different institution with different fucking <laughs> uh, goals uh, and uh, operating methods to actually, like, yeah. stand up and put up a fight here. But, you know. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, the Biden administration has the ability to, you know, blow up a major energy pipeline of one of its major allies in uh, NATO waters. Uh, but it can't do anything about these octogenarian Supreme Court justices. It would be impossible. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring that up, Greg, because the other big thing that happened is the court also told Biden, as we all knew was going to happen, Excuse me, sir. No, thank you. No student debt relief. Uh, you cannot <gasps> uh, forgive student oh my, loan really? debt. Really? Could you, I've been counting could you, on that. Could you imagine? <laughs> I thought it was in the bag, Brian. I know. I, I This one is just funny because nothing. this is kind of like the Roe v. Wade thing where nothing has been telegraphed more than the fact that, A, Biden didn't want this, that he wanted it gone, and that he was going to do everything he could to make sure that the student debt relief shit got fucking killed. Well, um, like not forgiving the student debt, you mean? Yeah, yeah. The one that thing he could have actually to, done. To, yeah, just do that so that this was a non-issue. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are it, they going to do? Like, if it, you just if you just canceled all the debt, like, like what are they going to do? Yeah. That it was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, submit. we'll start this process. Submit your application to maybe get some debt relief, and then we'll see. And then, you know, let there be an injunction. You know, instead, yeah. so, it's you know they know this. He could have just one day signed an order, like, and made it official, like, mm -hmm. and then dared the Supreme Court to a year later basically come back and say. Uh, actually, like 40 million people uh, do owe this debt retroactively, and we're going to have to somehow figure out a way to set it all back up again and all that kind of shit, right? Uh, good luck on that one, right? You know, um, the one thing we, that we do know in this country is if you get rid of something, you can never get it back. So, uh, yeah, you could just forgive the debt. Well, to your point earlier about there's nothing you can do to convince liberals that Biden can actually do anything, uh, this is uh, from the Twitter user at Gary Alexander, you know, so he tweets Biden half assed a lowball debt relief plan, building no robust constituency in favor of mobilizing to defend it. And in order to placate uh, the body that would predictably strike it down anyways, a masterclass and failure so complete that you think it was never meant to succeed. And this is responded to by just hundreds of people saying, 
there's nothing Biden could have done. This is this is the best that we could have that we could have achieved. And one of them pointed out the Roe v. Wade stuff. Um, oh, saying, well, look, Roe v. Wade had a robust constituency mobilized to defend it, and it got overturned too. So uh, what can yeah, anybody do? You know, it has a robust <laughs> constituency that yeah. was not mobilized to defend it, not by the White House. Not yeah, by the well, specifically demobilized and, by the Democratic Party, actually, yeah. and not you know? <laughs> and not uh, defended, and not you know, I mean, this this territory that has been well tread, but like they had fucking decades to, you know, they had fucking two thousand nine is what they had. Well, and I think this this is this you know real thing that comes up. So you know, of course, there's all the things about look, Biden can't do anything. Blah 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 blah. Right. And I do think this is a real question for all the like vote blue, no matter who, like you have to vote for the Democrats, blah, 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 heads out there, which I know don't really listen to the show. But if you have relatives like I do and stuff like that, you need to seriously ask the question when they bring this shit up of like, well, then what's the point of voting at all or voting for a Democrat at all? Well, it's more they literally Democrats, can't do Brian. anything. What can, if like, we just elect enough? De- it really is that. I mean, it really yeah. is if we just elect enough Democrats. There was just a hundred in the Senate and what four thirty six or whatever in the House, and you know uh, all the it Supreme doesn't matter Court justices when you tell died them, in a plane crash. <laughs> and they say it's just Joe Manchin. Then you say uh, Obama had sixty votes in the Senate for two years. Go like tell tell me what tell me about that. They just you know they're like I don't know that was a long time ago. What are you talking yeah. about? You know, Why are you bringing like, up old shit, dude? <laughs> Well, we even brought up uh, when Roe v. Wade got overturned, we even brought up the fact that it wasn't just under Obama, but under Carter and then again under Clinton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at various times, the Democrats had like unbreakable majorities where they could have, uh, you know, certified abortion rights and just chose not to because, you know, they didn't care. I mean, literally, that's what it comes down to. I mean, some people are like, oh, this is uh, fourth dimensional chess on Biden's part. But I think that actually it's just that Biden just doesn't give a shit about any of this stuff. Like he doesn't want it to happen. That's for sure. But he also just doesn't give a fuck about any of these people. Doesn't give a fuck about women. Doesn't give a fuck about people who owe money for college. Like he's already president, of, Brian. Yeah, he got what he wanted, right? He's he's president. He could just sit back and and remember the good times, the Iraq War. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's the it's the <laughs> it's the old Democrat story. Why win by sixty percent when you could win by fifty and a half? You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The election, I mean. You know. Hmm. Well, I mean. All this being said, uh, you know, how do you feel this bodes for his uh, re-election case? If we're gonna do a little, little horse racing for twenty twenty four, feels like this can't be good. I, uh, it's not. No, it's not good. But I think, you know, it just comes down to, it's the same old story. It's like, yeah, a lot of people. You could do good things in this country, and you would get more people to vote. Yeah. But as it is, it'll just come down to the fucking margins like it always does. And they think they can play it. Sometimes they win. Sometimes they lose. Barely. Either way. (laughs) Right. Sometimes they barely win. Sometimes they barely lose. Like, but it's better for it's that's preferable to people like Joe Biden to guaranteeing you could win by bringing in another couple of whole percent of the population to vote, but having to do like anything good you know so so whatever like these things are set in stone like people who are going to vote are going to vote like yeah the people who are already going to vote are still going to vote you could have brought in more maybe more people by passing student the student debt by by securing the student debt relief 
you could have like really like blown some people's minds, you know? Yeah. You know, got a few percent out of that. But like otherwise, everyone who votes votes and they pretty much already know who. So it's just on the margins and turnout. Yeah. When in, I in, in, in whatever the swing states are, you know, that's it. And, uh, you know, when to go back to something we talked on the show before, uh, when I was taking political science classes in the early 2000s and we we're talking vote strategy and stuff like that for people who are, you know, fancying themselves to be future campaign managers and things Hacks. like that. Were you yep. going to be a hack, Brian? Well, if you take it up political science classes, this is the shit you talk about in them. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, like, uh, they were pretty upfront about like, look, there's core constituencies for both parties who will vote for that party no matter what. And it has nothing to do with politics. It's because their parents voted for them because they live in cities versus the country. Right. Whatever. Right. It's all affect. And they're just going to vote for that party no matter what. And the real goal of an election should be suppressing every other element of the vote. Right. You know, those are guys in your camp and you know that the other team has their guys in their camp. And you can even kind of game out about where you're at in any particular district. But the wild card is the people that aren't in the camp. Right. And so the real goal is to make sure those guys don't show up. And who knows what they're going to do. Exactly. Right. And so there's lots of techniques that you talk about political science classes about how to suppress that part of the vote. And, uh, you know, to your point, you know, about winning on the margins. I mean, that is ultimately the strategy. And this is considered, you know, for political scientists to be supreme gamesmanship, right? Like, you know, because, you know, and it can't be said enough, there is no idealism in this field. <laughs> it's full of nothing but fucking monsters, you know, who think they're playing a video game. And uh, they have about the same heart and soul that a Madden franchise owner has when he plays plugs <laughs> in his Madden game, yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, yeah, you love to see it. Well, I got one more story for you, Greg. This is a short one. Uh, I saw you posted this in the Slack, and it was a tweet from our Seattle Times promoting a, a story they had this last week. And the tweet, I'm going to read the tweet to you, Greg, and you, you let me know what you think this might be about. Even among Seattle area stores with healthy sales, franchisees cite labor shortages and security concerns as barriers to the once successful formula. And they have a picture of two guys in front of a 7-Eleven. Wow. So no one wants to work anymore and crime is out of control. I mean, who knew I'd be hearing about this from the Seattle Times? I guess that's why uh, some stores are closing, like always, like it always, like it has been forever. <laughs> why? Why The only problems that any retail business has in any city in America are lazy workers and uh, visible poverty and uh, homelessness and crime yeah rampant crime that's rampant <laughs> shoplifting by the unhoused and uh you know you know a, a generation of people who would rather like be on the beach uh tweeting than at work you know <laughs> i can't think of any other reason yeah, anyone I... would uh be struggling to operate a retail business well, interestingly, I was like, okay, I'll bite on this story, expecting to open up the usual like 800 word just bullshit that the Seattle Times pumps out in almost every edition of their paper. Um, and lo and behold, I have a 2000 plus word 
fucking, you know, dissertation in front of me uh, written by Paul Roberts of the Seattle Times. 2000 words of literally nothing. I don't know if Paul's getting paid by the word, in which case good for him. There's almost zero content in this article, which is why we're not reading it really to you other than 1200 plus words down. I think it was 1240 words down when I counted it in Microsoft by highlighting, right? Uh, 1200 plus words down in the article. So this is probably the third time you've had to continue it to another page in the front mm-hmm. fold. Um, so they know you're reading. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, I'm going to read this. Just These are just the only six paragraphs of content in this massive article, Greg. In the mid 2000s, for example, and they're talking about how uh, 7-Eleven franchisees have been having problems. 7-Eleven reduced franchise franchisees share of gasoline profits from 25 percent of profits to just a penny or two per gallon which is less than the cost of maintaining the pumps, according to the franchisees. By the way, if you're wondering yeah, why no 7-Eleven so. has gas pumps anymore. Yeah. Franchisees are also paying more of the operating costs, even as 7-Eleven has increased its cut of gross profit to as much as 59%, depending on store revenue, according to media accounts and franchisees, right? So the 7-Eleven corporation takes 60% basically of your profits right off the top of your franchise. Dami, the Tacoma operator, said change, uh, these changes cost him $7,000 to $8,000 a month in profits, our profits. Bundy, the attorney, says most 7-Eleven franchisees recognize that if company field reps, quote, want to find you in violation of the contract, they can do it probably within 10 minutes. It's a huge stress. Uh, a franchisee uh, who worried about losing the $500,000 he paid for Seattle stores told the paper. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Quote, you're just thinking in the night, okay, maybe tomorrow's the day they might come and say, hey, you're out of the system and all my money is down the drain. <laughs> now, uh, what a fucking scam. What they're referencing is that 7-Eleven is highly litigious. And if they find that you're not running things exactly to your franchise agreement, they will take the franchise from you. Now, you have to pay the 7-Eleven Corporation $200,000 for a single store, plus the original store owner, because for the most part, they don't open new stores. So you're going to have to pay out the original store owner too to buy them out, which is usually another like $200,000. Or in the case of this one guy, another $300,000. Uh, so, you know, they catch you in violation and take the store from you. It's not like a little thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is money you owe still that you're paying, you know, a loan on loan service on. Yeah. Another, another scam to, uh, get you trapped into working for a shitty corporation. Yeah. Forever. You're right. Mm-hmm. For nothing. And, and yeah, and this really caught my eye. The Seven Eleven thing on the times I got really caught my eye because for years now, there's been reporting about how 7-Eleven has just squeezed the fucking franchisees more and more and more, like with more onerous conditions, uh, tighter enforcement, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's just, I guess, indicative of our local paper that they a tried to turn this into a crime panic story. And that's how they reported it. I will say there's very little mention of crime in the article, actually. And the only thing that indicates that people are shutting down their stores or trying to get rid of their stores is all about the franchise. They're about the corporation fucking them. But that's not how the Times chooses to uh, present it. Interesting. 
Yeah, go figure. Uh, oh God, being a franchisee is just a whole other way to get fucked. I mean, beyond mm-hmm. the, just the the uh, building, you know, the rent of a retail space, like getting fucked on, you know, by, you know, the changing retail marketplace. I mean, 7-Eleven, the ultimate, like, you know, convenience. Amazon's trying to fucking stamp even that out, right? With like mm-hmm. you, like one hour fucking delivery or, you know. Yeah, fuck, man. I mean, I, I there's a 7-Eleven a block and a half from my house. I haven't been there in over a year, you know? Yeah. Well, and if you go to a 7-Eleven, one thing you'll notice is there's lots of 7-Eleven branded merchandise. And the, yeah, and the reason for that is uh, 7-Eleven tightly controls all the stock at these stores, and you have to buy from approved 7-Eleven vendors, right? And the corporation, of course, gets a kickback of all that. But 7-Eleven at some point was like, wait, why am I just getting a kickback from, you know, the Mars Corporation or Coca-Cola or whatever? What if we took the whole thing? And so they started producing their own branded bullshit. And that's why half the 7-Eleven is 7-Eleven branded stuff is because the corporation can take an even bigger percentage of it. Uh, The franchisees, even if that shit doesn't sell, have to stock it. So they have a built-in customer base of like, they have to buy X amount of shitty 7-Eleven Twinkies or whatever. And it's just like old school like amway basically yeah is what you're doing to these people you know and like it's the same too because imagine like you know imagine around like the communities that these franchise owners are a part of like imagine like you know uh pakistani like extended family barbecue right like where Mm -hmm. you know the uh the the guy with the 7-Eleven is, you know, what are you going to say? Like, oh, it sucks to, to everyone you know? It's this terrible thing? No, you're like, oh, yeah, man, it's great. Because uh, you're hoping someone's going to want to buy it from you someday, you know? <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, to So you can pass your debt to the corporation or the bank or whatever onto them, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, interestingly, like, like... Amway, you know? Yeah, and the whole bulk of the article is basically a like slightly aimless and just completely depoliticized and contextualized discussion of the fact that lots of 7-Eleven franchisees are immigrants from South Asia largely. And, you know, it's just kind of funny. I, this is another times article where you could kind of feel the hand of an editor on it, but it's one of those things of like, there's another word for that, which is called targeting. And you might ask a question, why does the 7-Eleven corporation target new immigrants? Right. Why is nobody here? Yeah. This is such a good deal. How come nobody here wants to get in on it? Right. <laughs> like, you yeah. know, just that's no, perfect because you can a new immigrant to America with a certain, uh, you know, all pre all preloaded marketed idea of what America is and how you succeed in America is like, damn, some a bank wants to give me a loan to uh, set up by this big corporation that gets me in as at as a business owner, you know, when actually what mm-hmm. you are is a heavily indebted employee, like at the bottom end of a massive corporation, like yeah. you're the janitor for <laughs> uh, 7-Eleven, but you have to, you know, it's worse because you had to like take out a massive loan for the privilege and now you're <laughs> you know, committed for the rest of your life to doing exactly that thing, you know? Yeah, and I mean, this gets to the point, too, of their whole, like, nobody wants to work anymore argument. I mean, they they do point to the fact that they have, you know, trouble hiring people. 
But the reason is because they're leaned on so heavily by corporate, they really need to hire people, not even at minimum wage. They need to hire them below minimum wage, like essentially yeah. to make it. And so you you can't do that for both legal reasons and also just it's hard to find somebody who will so do you that work kind of work. Yourself you know? and your family, yeah, like all all hours of every day, you know. Yeah. And, and that <laughs> and that's what you are. So you are just you're just the 24 hour janitor, you yourself, this, you know, and, and your, your wife, your kids, you know, for this corporation around the clock. And maybe if you're lucky, you can find some other poor soul outside of your family to pass the exploitation onto. Yeah. And, you know, maybe one day a reporter from the one newspaper in the major metropolitan area you live in comes up to you to talk to you. And you're like, I can finally get my gripes out about this fucking vampiric corporation that's literally stealing the soul of me and my family and uh the way the paper spends it is not uh corporate malfeasance destroying families it spends it as aren't poor people terrible <laughs> can't, can't we round the poor up already it's uh, not wonderful uh, good job whole, seattle times whole uh parts of how our economy work are poisonous and destroying people's lives and won't aren't not sustainable it's um homeless people they exist yeah yeah, yeah. It really also should be the same story yeah yeah for real well greg it's been fun uh you know just just racking up the dubs this week uh everybody's doing great <laughs> nice to see everybody's doing fine um yeah, uh, hopefully next week we'll have Munya back to tell us about his underwater voyage. Uh, but I think we should probably leave it here, huh? Yeah, thanks, everybody. Uh, yeah, so uh, we want to just give a big shout out to our new patrons, uh, Michael and Gorlocks. <laughs> Gorlocks, uh, congratulations from coming to our planet. Uh, and why not make your way to our Discord as well? Okay, so... Michael and Gorlocks, get on that Discord. Start start mixing it up with all the kids on there. And, uh, you know, they're all having fun. <laughs> if you want to be cool like Michael and Gorlocks, become a patron for $5 a month. There's lots of extra content on there. Extra content coming. I think that's where we're going to post Munia's pictures from the bottom of the sea, uh, you know, and other exciting new things. So Yeah, Munia posing on the Chaise Lounge. <laughs> <laughs> still Under, doing the classic in, the media Titanic. pose like he couldn't care you know yeah <laughs> like he's bored of it <laughs> uh and yeah have a happy fourth of july everybody yeah uh remember the fourth of july sucks but also uh everybody complaining about the fireworks you know get a life <laughs> it's fine <laughs> it's one day get over it it's fine <laughs> I don't it's not one day a year down here. I don't know what it is. I live down here on the canal. It's at least four or five random days a year that someone yeah. is down here on the canal somewhere shooting off just randomly at not even the middle of the night, 10 p.m. Like a whole like package of like big, you know, mortars mm -hmm. like that you can, you know, that you are booming for miles around. And I I don't understand. Yeah. And the, like, to be fair, for like a solid month, 
we'll have them shot off, you know, like from July going in August, but never in the like amount they get on the 4th of July. It's just the random like shoot. No, no, no. It just goes off. for five. Yeah, yeah. I swear to God, it, random points yeah. in the year, like March <laughs> here down the canal. There will be like a 15 minute like barrage, like, random. Oh, like. interesting. We don't get that. Like we just get the random shoot off every once in a while. Now, I will say um, this is this is all bonus time on the episode here, but I will say coming from South Texas where fireworks are essentially illegal. It blew my fucking mind coming, seeing what you could buy up here. And that probably should be regulated just for safety's <laughs> sake. Like, <laughs> I don't know how more people don't die every year. It's incredible. <laughs> well, we we have fire departments here, Brian. Uh, I'm just supposed to be more like blowing themselves up is the main thing. Like, you know, I mean, the fires, obviously. Well, that's like, why but, it's illegal know. in Texas. Yeah. Because, well, Texans, I mean, Texas would Texans would blow their fingers off. We would like throw a black cat and it would explode 10 feet above the air. But like a military like firebomb, it would just ignite an entire field, you know, because it's just too dry, you know. So, yeah, it, it's for the best that we don't have them in South Texas. We burn the state down. So uh, but also, uh, look, we have fires here, too. That's not, you know, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for like a certain level of fireworks. But uh, some of those ones that are like they are from like amusement parks, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know that the average person who's drunk off their ass necessarily should be handling that but you know it's just not safe but that's okay uh, enjoy it while you can you know oh okay <laughs> boomer alright <laughs> bye everybody bye <laughs>